Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is August the 8th, Friday, August the 8th, 2014. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, Two Wives, and we are beginning this morning on the very last sentence on the bottom of 111. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Debbie, the 12 Traditions, Ida, and then Sharon, R.S., Sally, Rakifet, and, and then Miriam is our new greeter. The reference, the share code for yesterday, Thursday, August 6th, is 6732, 6732. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everybody who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Debbie B. to please read the 12 steps. Thanks, Monica. This is Debbie B. in Canada. Um, Good morning, Vision for You. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you, Debbie. And I will now ask Ida to please read the 12 traditions. Hi, this is Ida, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Pennsylvania. Thank you for your service, Melanie. 
the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, our, each group ought, should be autonomous except in manners affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive overeaters who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. Thank you, Ina. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we're resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter to wives. We are on page 111, the very last line that begins when a discussion does arise. And I will ask Sharon R.S. to please start reading and to read through to the top of page 113 where it says enough to continue is where you'll end. Sharon, can you read for us, please? Yes. Good morning, Monica, and good morning, fellow visionaries. This is Sharon R.S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. When a discussion arises, you might suggest he read this book or at least the chapter on alcoholism. Tell him you have been worried though perhaps needlessly. You think he ought to know the subject better, as everyone should have a clear understanding of the risk he takes if he drinks too much. 
Show him you have confidence in his power to stop or moderate. Say you do not want to be a wet blanket, that you only want him to take care of his health. Thus, you may succeed in interesting him in alcoholism. He probably has several alcoholics among his own acquaintances. You might suggest that you both take an interest in them. Drinkers like to help other drinkers. Your husband may be willing to talk to one of them. If this kind of approach does not catch your husband's interest, it may be best to drop the subject. But after a friendly talk, your husband will usually revive the topic himself. This may take patient waiting, but it will be worth it. Meanwhile, you might try to help the wife of another serious drinker. If you act upon these principles, your husband may stop or moderate. Suppose, however, that your husband fits the description of number two. The same principles which apply to husband number one should be practiced. But after his next binge, ask him if he would really like to get over drinking for good. Do not ask that he do it for you or anyone else. Just would he like to. The chances are he would. Show him your copy of this book and tell him what you have found out about alcoholism. Show him that as alcoholics, the writers of this book understand. Tell him some of the interesting stories you have read. If you think he will be shy of a spiritual remedy, ask him to look at the chapter on alcoholism. Then perhaps he will be interested enough to continue. So we are in this reading talking about alcoholic number one and alcoholic or alcoholic number two. Both are mentioned and referred to. Alcoholic number one is a person who is positive he can handle his drinking. Or it would be, in our case, a person who is positive that they can handle their eating. They may eat heavily at some time and uh, overdo it maybe at holidays or, or gatherings. or They may be obese, but maybe not necessarily as someone who is uh, completely out of control or knows that they're out of control. Uh, number two is a person who really wants to stop the, and, and finds that they can't. So they're on the, the wagon and off the wagon, on again and off again. But in this chapter, there's a couple, or in this reading, there's a couple of things that I find interesting. And I, I want to point out that we are the persons being referred to and the, our significant other is the person being written to uh, and being taught how to deal with us. So we, can, so we can twist our mind around that any way that we want. One of the things that we can use it for if we are recovered ourselves is how to deal with other compulsive overeaters. If you are a compulsive overeater yourself and that has not received recovery, I hope that this reading can help you understand the challenges that you face in sorting through 
first of all, whether you are a compulsive overeater and how to get recovery yourself. And and if you are not recovered and you're you're listening to this, hopefully you will be able to see the difficulty that other people have in dealing with us as compulsive overeaters and also the difficulties that we face ourselves trying to wrap our minds around the complexities of our disease. Are we just a a binge eater that can recuperate on on our own or are we someone that needs help outside of ourselves because we cannot stay recovered? And, but whichever way, what I find interesting in this reading is that we are encouraged to help others. Um, Drinkers, it says on page 112 in that first full paragraph, third sentence, drinkers like to help other drinkers. Your husband will be willing to talk to one of them. So whichever place we're in, reaching out to help someone else. Um, and it says it further down in the, in the paragraph that uh, to the wives, if they're having difficulty with helping their husband, that they should just reach out and start helping other, um, other wives. And so where, wherever we are, Whatever our situation, however difficult our life is, one of the ways that we can help ourselves is by reaching out and helping someone else. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And would anyone like to comment on these paragraphs? Kim? Kim? Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim Jay, and I'm a recovered compulsive over here from South Jersey. You know, I, I think about this chapter and how much it lines up with working with others. You know, so I like to look at it sometimes from that perspective. So they're saying here, husband number two. Now, who is husband number two? He is remorseful after serious drinking bouts, and he tells you he wants to stop. He wants to want to stop. So what are they instructing the wife to do here? I'm going to pull out that line. But after his next binge, ask him if he really liked to get over drinking for good for good. You know, that's something that I ask people that want to work with me is, are you done? Not are you willing to give it up one day at a time. You know, unfortunately, I think the message in many face-to-face meetings, and unfortunately I even hear it in this meeting once in a while, is that all we can hope for is temporary respite. How can we do all the 12 steps totally abstinent? Of course we're going to have slips. We're food addicts. We're compulsive overeaters. How can we get through these steps abstinently? Well, let me tell you, you can do that. We have to know, are we done for good? Permanent recovery is possible in Overeaters Anonymous. I am recovered. I am recovered. I do not walk through my day thinking, can I be strong enough to resist the food today? I don't walk through my day heavy having food dreams and food thoughts. I walk through my day recovered with the obsession removed. And if you want that, if you want to be recovered, if you are done for good, that is possible in Overeaters Anonymous. 
unfortunately, so many times I think we give ourselves that loophole that as compulsive overeaters, we're different than alcoholics, that we cannot have permanent recovery, that we only will be able to be through this program with slips. And I think that we have to understand, are we done for good? That's what I'm asking somebody. That's what the, the wife is asking um, alcoholic number two. Not are you willing to put the alcohol down till I get off your back. Are you willing to put the alcohol down till your boss gives you your job back? But are you done for good? And let me tell you, that is possible in Overeaters Anonymous. That recovered means that God has removed the obsession to eat. I wake up in the morning. I do not think about food during the day. I am not tempted by food during the day. I can be around my binge foods, and it's as if I'm around other things that I like. I love shoes. I look at other people's shoes. I don't look at them and think, I wish I had those shoes. The same way when someone's eating my binge foods, I think I wish I had their binge foods. That is the miracle of Overeaters Anonymous. So when we're approaching somebody, and if you're on the other end of this, ask yourself, are you done for good? When you're talking to someone and all they're offering you is a temporary respite, we'll work on this one day at a time, and if you have a slip, it's okay, and that message is good enough for you, go for it. But this book is promising us so much more. This book is promising us that if we are done for good, if we are willing to put the food down for good and walk through these steps 100% abstinent, we are going to experience those those promises in step 10. The obsession will be removed. We will not be cocky, nor we will be afraid. It is as if the the food no longer exists for us. So that's what the wife is being instructed to ask the, the husband. Are you done for good? So as people who are recovered, that's what we ask the people that we're going to work with. And if you're on the line struggling today, ask yourself, how free do you want to be? Do you want to have temporary respite? Then work this program through half measures. If you want to be recovered, if you want to be recovered, ask yourself, are you done and are you willing to walk through these steps abstinently and willing to be uncomfortable until you get to steps 10, 11, and 12, and the promise is the obsession will be removed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on these paragraphs? Sarah. <laughs> okay, I, saw, I heard Sarah. I think I heard Larry. You heard Sue G. And I, oh yeah, I'm coming. That's Sue G. Well, Sarah did. Sa- Sarah, Sue G. Who else? Okay, Sarah, and then Sue G. I guess I didn't hear you, Larry. Uh, good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Sarah W. from Iowa. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I was going to piggyback on Kim because I think, you know, she brought up a, a great part of the of the reading, you know, uh, to uh, focus on that area where it says, but after his next binge, ask him if he would really like to get over drinking for good. Do not ask that he do it for you or anyone else. Just would he like to. And uh, if we go back to page 90 uh, in working with others, you know, it's the same thing. It says, you know, find out all you can about him. If he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. 
which is obviously to the prospective uh, protege. Uh, but if there is indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with him uh, and get an idea of his behavior. You know, I I, um, I find that, you know, a lot of people want to be thin when they walk in the doors. They're so miserable with their body and how they feel about themselves. You know, they haven't come to the conclusion that um, their life is unmanageable. You know, they don't see that. They just see that, that their bodies are what they don't like. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, the, the bottom has to be low for so many of us um, and to, to get to a place where we're going to say, I'm done for good, you know, I, I've had it. Uh, and, and to be willing to, as they say, change everything because recovery isn't just about changing your eating habits, you know. It's about changing your, your belief systems, you know, the way you live your life, the way you look at life, your attitudes, uh, you know, just everything. And... Um, you know, the idea that, you know, the desperation of the wife coming in and saying, you know, if you loved me enough, you know, you would do it. And, you know, I think of the idea of, you know, us as compulsive readers, you know, trying to fit into that dress for the wedding or, you know, you know, summer's coming up, you know, I can remember years back, you know, summer's coming up, oh my God, you know, how can I go out in a bathing suit? How can I go and do these things with my children that I'll have to be, you know, in, in shorts and, and have to be part of, you know, because I was almost 300 pounds. But, you know, the, the reality of, the, of it is that, you know, we have to really want to do it for ourselves because, you know, the unmanageability of our lives needs to be to such a great extent that we, we have to desire it for ourselves. And, you know, the desperation of those around us that, that want us to stop because they see the, the misery that we're in, um, you know, the desperation that, that those that love us have is, you know, you know, please just do it. You know, we're willing to do anything, as I talked about earlier, you know, drinking with the with the alcoholic, you know, eating with, you know, I mean, you know, my marriages, and I've had more than one, you know, I've had lots of food buddies that have been, you know, not only my friends but my, my partner in, in life. And, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, to change those ideas and those behaviors is, is um, you know, a God-given task. But, you know, if today I have relief from that. I don't feel, uh, you know, uh, I have neutrality around the food. Um, and really for me it's all been about the 10th step. But, you know, I think the idea that we have to um, we have to truly want it for ourselves, and we have to be at a place where we're we're done, and um, and realize that uh, nobody can get us sober, but nobody can get us drunk either, and that it's just you know it's it's an inside job, and then you know it's it, it's um you know we have to have that second step come into play where we truly do believe that God can, will, and is restoring us to sanity. And that we we were insane. We have to come to the conclusion that we were insane to want to have sanity. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And Sue. Sue G., you're up. Hi, it's Sue G. from southeastern Pennsylvania, recovered gracefully and trying to be graceful when I'm in a bad mood. Um, I, I seem to be getting into poetry my my husband recited these few lines from a Rudyard Kipling poem this morning, and this stuff reminds me of it. Um, 
I'll try to be coherent here. There are nine and fifty ways of constructing tribal lays. Those are stories, tribal stories. There are nine and fifty ways of constructing tribal lays, and every single one of them is right. That that there are so many different ways in which we arrive at the two problems in the family, the problem of the alcoholic or the food addict, and the problem of those people that have to live with them. And uh, and how we really have to do what the two preceding uh, sharers did, break it down and focus in on the particular need of who is it that, that's standing in front of you. And I think of another story that Joe, Joe and Charlie tells of um, the um, person that's sitting on his front porch and he's he's kind of kind of resentful, but he's not too bad. He's not too into the self-pity. And he sees his neighbor painting his porch and he goes, oh, now I, I have to do that too. And, and he's just feeling a little healthy competition. He's like, like alcoholic number one. He's, uh, he's not too, too bad in this thing, but his consciousness needs to be raised. In fact, raising his consciousness might be a real project unless you realize as the, the co-addict in this that you are not going to try to take control of him because you're going to scare him away. You're going to really repel him. So so this guy is sitting on his porch in his alcoholic number one kind of state, and he feels a little resentful, but he feels a little competition, and he says, oh, he's painting his porch. Well, I think I'll go out and buy some paint. So he goes out and buys some paint, and he paints his porch, so two houses in the neighborhood look better. But then you have the guy that's more firmly into his self-pity and victimhood, and he sees the guy painting the front porch, and he goes, oh, geez, he's painting his front porch. He's, he's making his neighborhood better. He's making com- competition. He's impossible. I hate him. It's miserable to paint my front porch. I'm not doing it. And he's stuck, absolutely stuck in his, his self-pity and his resentment, and he's, he's a mess. He's, he can't do anything. He's immobilized. And we go through stages like this, and the disease is a chronic disease in which we're in stages and in which each of us has to identify exactly where we are. We say that uh, the addicts, we, we, we food addicts, we see what eating does for us. We don't see what it does to us. And the, the point in, in the family is that the overeater has to see what stopping does for her or him instead of what stopping does to us. And that's that's why you need a sponsor or somebody who's going to pay attention to your step work, especially around steps four and five and eight and nine, because you really have to have some feedback. And, and we in the fellowship know how to do that. We get our guidance from the big book. So thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Sue B. Sue G. I mean, sorry. Uh, is there anyone else who would like to share on this on these paragraphs? All right. Well, this is Monica, and I'll jump in here for a little bit. Uh, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the chapter two wives, and um, it's part of step twelve and. Step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So here in this chapter to the wives, we are being given instructions, information on practicing these principles in our relationship with a significant other. And I found it interesting that on this page, when coming at it from that point, that I saw here two different times he talks about if you act upon these principles, the same principles. So what is what are they, you know, telling us here or trying to get us to understand that, you know, we've we've um we're at step twelve, helping others, and now we're supposed to use these principles that we have been learning about through every, with every step, you know, honesty, hope, faith, courage, willingness, humility, love, perseverance, awareness, that we're now trying to use these principles in our daily life every day with our significant other. And um, some of the principles here are that I'm seeing here on this page, you know, is never be angry. Be patient. Never tell them what to do, you know. Put yourself in their place. Um, you know, tell them that you, you've been worried about them. And for me here, it's a lot of, you know, working the opposites of those character defects I had. You know, instead of impatient, here I'm being, you know, I'm being uh, given information. Well, you know, you need to be patient, Monica. Have some love. Put yourself in their shoes. And, um, and with that, I will pass. Would anybody else like to share on these before we move on to the next? Okay, well, let's move on to the next. And Sally, would you read, please, and and read through the bottom of page 113. Sure, good morning again, Monica. And good morning, a vision for you. This is Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. If he is enthusiastic, your cooperation will mean a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he is not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. The seed has been planted in his mind. He knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. But don't remind him of this after he has been drinking, for he may be angry. Sooner or later, you are likely to find him reading the book once more. Wait until repeated stumbling convinces him he must act for the more you hurry him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. If you have a number three husband, you may be in luck being certain he wants to stop. You can go to him with this volume as joyfully as though you had struck oil. He may not share your enthusiasm, but he is practically sure to read the book and he may go for the program at once. If he does not, you will probably not have long to wait again you should not crowd him. Let him decide for himself. Cheerfully see him through more streets. Talk about his condition or this book only when he raises the issue. In some cases, it may be better to let someone outside the family present the book. They can urge action without arousing hostility. If your husband is otherwise a normal individual, your chances are good at this stage. You would suppose that men in the fourth classification would be quite hopeless. But that is not so. Many of Alcoholics Anonymous were like that. Everybody had given them up. Defeat seemed certain. Yet often such men 
had spectacular and powerful recoveries. So here we have a very, a page that is just full of so much information. To begin with, if he is enthusiastic, just sort of, um, to me, it speaks to desperation. So I'm going to just plug that word in. If he is desperate, and, you know, top of page 110 talks about the desperate person, and there's many times that the book talks about the desperate. If he is desperate, your cooperation will mean a great deal. If he is lukewarm or thinks he is not an alcoholic, we suggest you leave him alone. Avoid urging him to follow our program. Um, You know, going down the page here, these are some of my favorite parts of this. Wait until repeated stumbling convinces him he must act. For the more you hurry him, the longer his recovery may be delayed. Page 98, it says, it is not the matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give that often makes the difference between failure and success. So timing is very important. It goes on to say if you have a number three husband, you may be in luck. Being certain he wants to stop, you can go to him with this volume as joyfully as though you had struck oil. To begin with, it reminds me of Bill, and I have to tell you, I think all roads lead lead to Bill's story. But the bottom of page five, Bill wakes up. He says, I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. And so here we see a bill appears to be just like this husband number three. And um, because he seems to want to stop at this point, you can go to him with this volume. And this is an important sentence because they're giving us clear instruction. And the bottom of 94, middle of 95 and 96 tells us that when we find somebody who seems to be interested, we should go to him with this volume. It says here, we should go as joyfully as though you had struck oil. And I must say, the only other time that this book talks about striking anything like oil is at the bottom of page 128, where it says, like a gaunt prospector felt drawn in over the last ounce of food, our pick struck gold. Joy at our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck something better than gold. And the story goes on on page 129. And so here when it talks about with the joy of striking oil, it reminds me of that that gaunt prospector who struck gold. And finally, I just want to come down here a few more lines down. Again, you should not crowd him. Let him decide for himself cheerfully, just cheerfully see him through more sprees. And finally, in some cases, it may be better to let someone outside the family present the book. Page 91 is very clear, this is in working with others, that it's really not best for family to try to work with family. I've seen this with my own sisters, with my own close family. Page 91, usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. And it goes on to say, though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. And so, and it says a lot more about this on page 91, but I've said a lot and I've said enough. Thanks for letting me share with that iPad. Thank you, Sally. Who would like to comment on page 113? This is Larry. 
Larry, and I heard someone else. Lorna. Lorna. Okay, Larry and then Lorna. You're up, Larry. Good morning, Monica. Larry, recovered uh, compulsive reader from Chicago. I'm very grateful this morning uh, what we're reading here. Um, boy, I, I didn't read uh, for a long time. I didn't read this chapter, or when I did read it, um, of course, I was still practicing the disease day after day after day. Um, just didn't really capture me. I wanted the pixie dust chapters, you know, and uh, I would continue to show up to meetings doing nothing, but I thought I was doing everything. You know, I've seen a, a lot of people um, recover, become recovered. I've worked with a lot of people that have been, become recovered, um, but I never <clears throat> got anyone recovered. That would be my ego. Um, and I don't, I, I truly, sincerely don't feel that way. Anybody that gets recovered becomes recovered because, they're, because of their higher power. <clears throat> this isn't about science. I couldn't explain to you why it works. Um, but it does. I've, I know that, not because I read the pages, because I've experienced it. And I've seen it in others. I've seen more people become recovered that I've left alone than those that I've worked intensely with. Those that I've left alone, that's hard. It's hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. Um, um, because of my ego, I want to think that somehow I, I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's going to, you know, that it, like I'm the God source. Well, that's that's a bunch of, uh, of BS. That's That's not it. You know, someone that's recovered understands that, you know, what was done for me, the gratitude I have that, you know, of, of what I've experienced and what was done for me by God, that anyone at all, anyone at all can have that if they're willing, you know, and willingness, of course, you couldn't get me to do anything that I wasn't willing to do. And let me tell you, there's things that I wasn't willing to do. I wasn't willing to do the work in this program. It was hard. It was simple, but it was really, really hard. And, you know, in this chapter, you know, we read, we read about, you know, the wives, the significant others. You know, it's so tragic and difficult. Um, best to leave people alone. Very difficult, very challenging. Very challenging to leave people alone. But like I said, I've seen more people become recovered that reached out to me and did not, were unwilling, because I can understand that unwillingness. I wasn't willing. And then, you know, backing off. There's love and gratitude and, and tolerance in my heart, but it seems like a savage thing to do. It seems like a horrible thing to do. And it proved to be, you know, the, the thing that God, God, God needed to happen, you know, perhaps because those pe people perhaps became recovered. So um, it's a great lesson for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Lorna, you're up. Thanks, Monica. Lauren, as, as in Sam, a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ah, I, this chapter is, ugh, I'm learning a lot to help God's kids. Um, okay. Sooner or later, you are likely to find him reading the book once more. 
when I read that, Lauren Self came up and said, how do they know? How do they know? That seems a little like wishful thinking. And then God planted in my mind the fact that early AA looks like this. Men meeting in the living room or family room of Bill's house, talking, and the wives in the kitchen. And everybody would talk for hours. They didn't have a one-hour format. And so the wives must have talked about information that formed the basis of this chapter. So this is the wives' strength and experience and hope that's formed in fact from those hours in early AA kitchen rooms drinking tea. And the first woman who recovered from AA was actually not Marty Mann because she relapsed and then eventually got sober in 1960. It was Sylvia Kay in 1939. So early AA from 1935 for those four years was men, at least uh, maybe women, but women didn't stay sober, get recovered. Uh, not sure how helpful that kind of self-knowledge was. But if I can offer hope to help those, whether you're recovered or not, it's that I haven't thought about binge food since, November of 2012. That is unbelievable. I came into these rooms September of 2012 thinking about binge food more than I thought about my parents, hygiene, school, work, sleep, anything important to being a human being. Exercise, being outside. And that is a promise that I hope you'll latch on to. I forget I'm a compulsive overeater. That's incredible because we fill our day with helping God's kids and being honest. So, oh, yes. You, you can never think about binge food permanently. That's, that's a promise. All right. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Excuse your name, please. Jaina. Jaina. Uh, Rakefit. Amy. Rakefit. Amy. Okay, Jaina, and then Rakefit, and Amy. You're up, Jaina. Yes, good morning, everyone. I just wanted to share my experience. Um, recently, I, I came into the program just a few weeks ago. Um, through God's grace, I'm abstinent for three weeks as of today. But just a couple of weeks before I came in, I was spending time with my son. He came to visit several times. And each time we went out to eat, he would um, say things like, well, Mom, are you sure you want to go to this place? I mean, are you going to be able to get your food? Because he's watched me over the years, you know, uh, refused to eat binge foods and had very strict diets, etc. And it came up several times. And 
I remember saying to him, um, no, yeah, it's fine. I don't do that anymore. I'm fine. I, I eat anything I want now. I, I don't do that anymore. And when I think about it right now, this was the precursor to the biggest binge I've ever been on in my life. And perhaps he saw that I was going there. I don't know. But um, I thought I was fine. I was in a complete and utter delusion. And he, you know, several times when he would raise the issue, he kept raising it over and over again every time he saw me. Well, are you sure you want to do that, Mom? I said, let's go get ice cream. Mom, are you sure? You're not supposed to eat ice cream. (coughs) And I was annoyed. I was annoyed, I was irritated, and I basically didn't want him getting into my business. And so um, I'm just merely sharing this to say I'm I'm an exact example of what's on this page, of how when the person is not ready, no matter what you do, it's not going to be helpful. And in fact, it might make them defensive so that they want to insist that they're normal and can continue eating the way they they want to eat. I'm very grateful that um, my binging got me to the place of being in that state of the perhaps the the number three or number four where I, I was desperate. And that's what brought me here, and I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Jaina. Rakafet, you're up. Um, thank you, Monica. This is Rakafet, recovered from Postal Overeater in California. And I am just amazed by all the wisdom in this book. Not only is it full of love and kindness, but there's wisdom. It is so, so smart the way they are um, teaching wives to approach their husbands that are still in the disease. Because I wasn't approached like that. My whole life growing up, I was equivalent to husband number one from the time I was a small child. When I got married for the first time in 1980, I was 20 years old, and I immediately became husband number two, immediately. And within probably six months, I gained 50 pounds right off the bat, and my husband was horrified. He was horrified. He didn't know what to do. You know, he was, I didn't know what to do. I was so confused. I was so powerless. I had zero spirituality. The only method I knew was willpower. And that's what my husband knew. You wanted something, you use your willpower to get it. And so he, um, you know, he wasn't trying to be mean or anything, but he was really concerned and tried all kinds of ways to get me to stop eating. And I, I couldn't. I just couldn't stop eating. And I was felt so bad, so ashamed. I just couldn't do it. And I love the way this book says that if they can't do it, just let them do it some more. You know, don't push. Don't be pushy. Don't be critical. You know, let them let them go on. Let them let them really get desperate. And um, that's 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 really beautiful about this book because I know that a lot of people and I included went through so much pain wanting to to get abstinent for my family's sake, for my husband's sake. I, you know, I would see the disappointment in his eyes. I would see the sadness in his eyes. It got to the point where I could not eat anything in front of him because I knew how judgmental he was and how disappointed he was. You know, every time he saw me eat something, especially that was an abstinent, the, you know, the um, crown, the, and 
that made me feel so horrible. I had to go into hiding to eat. And that was a whole new level of um, humiliation for me, having to go eat in hiding, never letting my husband ever see me eat anything that had any flour, sugar, or fat. And it was very painful. And I need to remember that when I, when I read these pages and when I work with sponsees, how painful, how much pain they're in. And they don't need criticism. They need kindness and love. And that is, the, and the wisdom in this book is, is really, really unbelievable. So thank you for letting me share it. I pass. Thank you, Rakafet. Amy, you're up. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Grateful. Thank you, everyone, for your shares and your service. I'm grateful to be on the line. Um, I also want to share my gratitude for this book and uh, the foreknowledge of those who put the pages together and put this book together because understanding what alcoholism is and this disease and knowing that, you know, as Bill had with his wife, you know, so many times having the wife having come to him and asking him to stop and all these things and understanding that the communication, um, you know, with family members and alcoholism and, and how to try to convince the alcoholic, uh, you know, to get better and understanding that, you know, it has the convincing. I mean, it says here, wait until repeated stumbling convinces him that he must act. I mean, what do we hear over and over again? you know, in these rooms, which is that we let the disease do the convincing, you know, and then we carry the message. We don't carry the mess, we carry the message. And that's what this book is about, is that, you know, here is a wife desperately wanting to, you know, a wife or a husband wanting to share the message of recovery, and instead of having to convince them herself, she just has to hand the book. And even all the person has to do, the wife or the husband, is to even read the first edition, you know, the forewords to understand that there are thousands who have recovered. That's what they mean. He knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. If he's even looked at this book, by even reading the first couple pages, a seed is planted. And we're so confident about this message that's in this book that if we hand it to someone, we don't have to convince them. We let the disease convince them, and then the message that is in these pages, that are in these first 164 pages, do the rest. You know, that's what this book is for, and it's such a powerful message. And I'm so grateful that we have this, this medium, this form of communication to share, to share the message, you know, that's in this book. And um, something that also brought to my attention down at the end is that, you know, one of the, um, you know, you suppose the fourth classification, the fourth husband, you know, might be quite hopeless, but that is not so. Defeat seems certain, yet often such men have had spectacular and powerful recoveries. You know, to me, these are what we call the dark before the dawn people, and that's what I was, a critical level compulsive overeater. I mean, there were just no two ways about it. And I look back on all that pain and that suffering and that torture of compulsive overeating, and yet I can say that I am grateful for that because I was a number four in a big way. And yet that bottom, talk about the disease convincing me, that bottom of torture of compulsive overeating was the foundation upon which I surrendered and started working this program like my life depended upon it. And that's what I needed to do, and it brought me miraculous spectacular and powerful recovery. I'm recovered by the grace of God 
One, because of the bottom I went through in compulsive overeating that propelled me in desperation to these rooms and to these 12 steps and to this very message that convinced me. When they said that we are people who have recovered, I grasped onto that like a drowning person to a life preserver. If you guys had recovered, I wanted what you have, and I wanted to go to any length to get it because I knew that I, of myself alone, I was convinced. It says in step one, John Barleycorn becomes our best advocate. And for me, you know, Sarah Lee, I mean, you fill in the blanks. It was my best advocate. The disease had me down for the count. But yet it was the dark before the dawn because upon that, bottom i built the recovery through the grace of god's program enough on me thanks for letting me share i'll pass thank you amy and we have time for one more share would anyone else like to share leah leah go ahead leah thank you so much wait until repeated stumbling convinces him he must act for the more you hurry him the longer his recovery may be delayed yes i mean <laughs> pain drives you here and if you leave <laughs> if you decide to join that uh research and development committee uh you know pain will drive you back if you're lucky if you're lucky you know that at least that was my case you know and and, you know, we learned through our own experiences, you know, that I had to um, be beaten. Food, this compulsive overeating, finally had to pound me into submission, where I not only lost the battle, but I also lost the war. And I have to do that same for somebody else. I have to allow that same process to happen for somebody else. You know, I had been crushed. The disease continues to turn up the heat. God either is going to be or he isn't, and the disease will will uh, pound you into a state of reasonableness about that. And, you know, I have to allow that process to happen to somebody else, even though I might uh, surely, genuinely, and sincerely want recovery for them. You know, but, but those who are recovered... Um, you know, it says he knows that thousands of men, much like himself, have recovered. Yes, those of us that are recovered are living proof that some power greater than ourselves has restored us to sanity. But, you know, this line is an example that we are merely agents. God uses recovered people. We are necessary, but we're not sufficient to create that change in somebody else. You know, that that uh, we can be a catalyst, but, you know, Again, this line is a great example. There are hundreds who listen to this line live or recorded. Do all of these people recover? Here we are handing the text, handing the explanation, developing each paragraph. You know, do all recover? No. Unfortunately not. And why is that? They all listen to the same words because our words have to hit something in an individual to provoke a change, to provoke that response, to provoke the situation that we get into where we have to reconsider, reconsider or die. You know, that, that all happens. That, that, that's God's work to do. You know, that is the disease and God. That's it. You know, this book is designed to bring about an experience. You know, this book is designed 
to uh, restore us to sanity. This book is about the raising of the dead. It does say, say yet often such men had spectacular and powerful recoveries. You know, uh, I too am speaking from, uh, you know, a level four uh, disease here. This is about raising of the dead. This is about an individual like myself being totally enslaved by compulsive overeating and by the experiences and the implementation of these steps being allowed to rise up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to in, because we engage in this process, because we've had a spiritual awakening, because we've been restored to sanity, because we have soundness of mind, because we've been relieved of the obsession, and because we've been freed from the beast. Finally, for me, after 20 years of mayhem, we get to walk this planet free. And that is a message that we get to share, but that is, willingness is a one-person job. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And, and, you know, it seems like a hopeless state of mind and body when we first come in here. But the big book right off in the first page in the preface tells us that they have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It's not hopeless. It is not hopeless. And with that, we've come to the end of our time here today, and I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Rakafet, can you read for us, please, from A Vision for You? Thank you, Monica. I'm Rakafet, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.